Hi, welcome to Leadership with Randy. I'm Randy Powell. Today you're listening to Lessons on Leadership, our weekly conversation with inspiring people sharing some of the stories and lessons from their journey. And my experience was that culture and leadership was a, was a big deal in, not just in business performance. I mean, there's tons of studies that, that show that um, having a quote unquote good culture impacts performance. So there's lots of that data, but equally as important to me is the impact on people's lives. We have a magical conversation this week with Andrew Bennett, a TEDx speaker, leadership coach, podcast host, and longtime magician who incorporates magic and the lessons from magic into many of his presentations. He weaves together his own experiences working in large corporate environments, along with his coaching of thousands of entrepreneurs and business leaders into an inspiring message that helps all of us develop our best leadership style. You can learn more about his work at andrewbennett.com. Now let's go spend time with Andrew Bennett. It is awesome to be together again and great to see all of you again. Some of you have seen several times this week, so it's been a great week to uh, keep seeing amazing people. And I'm excited to have Andrew Bennett on with us. I've learned about Andrew, I don't know, two or three months ago through another connection on here. Andrew has a number of incredible experiences and he has his own show that he does once a month called happy hour for hope, which I think we will dig into a bit later about what he's doing there, but it's very similar to a lot of what you all are doing. So I think you'll find it interesting and some of his guests interesting, but you've done so many things in your journey, Andrew, that have brought you to this point of teaching leadership and coaching leadership and doing magic and hosting shows. You, you've got a lot of things going on. Why don't you take us back to the beginning of, of your journey and some of your inspirations and the things that have brought you to where you are today? Well, thanks for having me here, Randy, and good morning, everybody from my yard in Washington, D.C. There's Jenny. There, she's our she's our mutual friend. So so good to see you, dear friend. Uh, thank you for making this connection. So let's go back to the beginning. Um, I have always been very busy. Uh, I grew up in northwestern Lower Michigan on a farm on a cherry farm, and our town called Beulah had four hundred and twenty one people. So. You never had to use your turn signal in Beulah because everybody already knew where you were going. Very small. And uh, I uh, was introduced to magic when I was seven years old. So my grandparents gave me a magic set, which a lot of kids get a magic set between the ages of seven and 12. And, and most of the time they set it aside because magic is not something that, you know, is instantly gratifying. It takes work and discipline and practice and all of that. But a few people, they catch the bug and I caught the bug and I was very serious about it. So I started my first business when I was 12 years old and that was called Andy Bennett and Company. And I was doing magic shows and we had a, a larger town nearby Traverse City, Michigan that had about 10,000 people. And uh, so there was a market and I was doing uh, shows in churches and rotary clubs and Kiwanis and uh, businesses and, and uh, just, you know, those kinds of things. 
And when I was 14 years old, I had my own TV show in Traverse City, the Andy Bennett show. And it was one of those, it was like the Howdy Doody show. For those of you that are old enough to remember the Howdy Doody show, it was a live audience and we played cartoons, but I would do magic in between the cartoons. So I did that all through uh, high school until I went away to college. I was, uh, got involved in leadership in, in school. I was the president of my class every year. I was president of student council my senior year. I also got involved in public speaking back then. Uh, so I was Michigan State champion in uh, public speaking my sophomore year and my senior year. So by the time I'd gone to college, I'd kind of, kind of established the path for my life, which was um, being an entrepreneur, um, doing performances, presentations in front of groups, and leadership. So I went to school, I put myself through school uh, doing magic shows. And when I graduated, uh, I went to work for Joanne Fabrics. And I was managing a store for Joanne Fabrics. I was the only male manager out of 750 stores, which was an interesting experience. And um, Joanne was not a great experience. It was a, uh, a very negative culture. And, um, but fortunately, after I'd been there for about a year, a friend of mine from college had gone to work for a company called Electronic Data Systems, EDS, that was based out of Dallas. And uh, she, the company was about 4,000 people at that point in time. It was 1984. And uh, she had met the CEO of EDS. And she said, you know, I know the way you feel about business and leadership. And I know you're having a miserable time, but there is hope because I've met the CEO of our company and he's amazing and he's going to be in Detroit because my store, my Joanne's store was in Detroit. So she said, I can get a meeting with him if you'd like to meet him. And I said, well, of course. So one night after work, I went and I met with this guy. I'd never heard of him, but his name was Ross Perot. And, uh, I met with Ross for about an hour and a half. And I walked out of there on cloud nine because all the things that he was talking about that they did at EDS in terms of the way they treated people, the, the values they had, the way they led really inspired me. And so, but that was, you know, that was what I, that was all I expected was just a conversation. And so then the next day I get a phone call at the store and it's Ross Perot. And he says, General Motors is buying my company. That's why I was in Detroit. And I need an assistant to take care of. I need a gopher in Detroit. And I know you're a manager right now. And this would be, you know, a pretty minor role. But if you're interested, uh, I, I, would love to have you do that. So I said, absolutely. So I spent the next 10 years working for Ross and he became my mentor. I was his personal assistant for the first six months. And then he 
would rotate me into a different position in the company every two years. He wanted me to kind of learn horizontally the business so that one day I could be an executive. And so my last um, two years, I was in, he sent me to Australia. It was our first business in the Pacific Rim. And we had a, by EDS standards, it was a small account. It was a $5 million account annual. And um, we grew that account. I had a team of 24 people and we grew that account to 65 million in, in two years without adding any additional people. So it was 1300% growth. And they invited me to come back to the US after my two year tour there and, and teach people in the company how I did that, how we did that. And so that was kind of the start of my consulting training experience. Um, I went to work for, uh, uh, and by the way, Ross didn't know I was a magician when he hired me. And so at the, the Christmas party that year, I did some magic. Uh, and afterwards, he said to me, Andy, that's real clever how you do that magic. You know, from now on, whenever you do a business presentation, you should use magic in it. And so a um, couple months later, he gave me an opportunity to do that. And it was at a meeting of the General Motors Board of Directors. So here's this 24-year-old kid presenting to the General Motors Board of Directors. And that's a story for another day, which is a, a, an amazing, hilarious story. But it went over big. And so that's when I started integrating magic into business. And he, he always said, don't do it just to do a magic trick, just to, you know, do something cute, but make it relevant, tie your message into your magic. And I have worked really hard at that over the years. Uh, so I left uh, EDS and I wanted to learn the training business. So I went to work for a, a company in Seattle called Edge Learning Institute. And um, I, my goal was to be there for five years to run, to, to learn the training business. And uh, after four and a half years, uh, the company, uh, the partners got into a legal squabble and they laid everyone off. And so it accelerated my plan by about six months. But that's when I started Bennett Performance Group which is my company that um, I've had for almost 25 years now. And um, I focus on leadership and organizational culture and personal development, deep personal development. Uh, and I've worked all over the world with over 130 companies and I've done 39 long-term uh, culture revitalization projects at Google and Marriott and Microsoft and Ford, but also small companies, a regional coffee company out of Detroit, Cadillac Coffee Company, family-owned business. So um, government, I've worked with uh, the State Department, the Marine Corps, um, you know, lots of different government agency, transportation, um, ICE, and um, that kind of brings us up to where I am. I, I, I know that's a little bit long story, but it's been quite an adventure. It's, a, it's awesome. And uh, did you 
convince Ross Pro to run for president then, or did he have that idea on his own? <laughs> he he had that idea on his own. Um, and one of my, one of our buddies, when I first started out, became his chief of staff and was very involved in the campaign. It's funny because we have the same birthday, had the same birthday. Ross died, gosh, probably four years ago now, but we had the same birthday and we used to call each other on our birthday. And, uh, right after the election, the second election, cause he ran twice, um, I said, do you think you'll ever run again? And he said, Andy, you and I both know I'd make a better king than a president. <laughs> Which if you knew Ross was, you know, he was, <laughs> he called the shots. I want to go over here to uh, Drew because I know we're going to dive into the, this issue of culture and the challenges people have hiring and retaining people today. And I think Drew's going to take us there quick. So cool. One other thing, I also teach um, leadership in the executive leadership program at American University, and it's a program that's aimed at federal executives, people who are moving into the senior executive service, the SES, which is the highest uh, level of civilian service in the, in the government. And I also teach aspiring leadership to younger leaders. Awesome. Andrew, Andrew it's great, great uh, listening to you. Um, Hi, Drew. Uh, as soon as you started, I, I started thinking back uh, uh, to Miss Yuko O'Reilly. It goes back to three, a movie called Three Stripes and the Sun, uh, starring Dick York. And it's about the Wolfhound legacy and the Holy Family Home Orphanage. And Miss Yuko used to always tell me, because I was always saying the same thing. You say, I, I like being busy. And she said, Drew, you know, the Japanese uh, symbols for busy are without heart. Oh, wow. Uh, and she said, no matter what, no matter how busy you are, never lose your heart. So Andrew, I really appreciate it. I, I can, I just sense there's an awful lot of purpose to the things that you do. Uh, it's really interesting. And as a young kid, you, you got out of college and you started working for Joanne Fabric. So in reflect, as you reflect back, you said it was really not that good of a culture. I really would love to dive in deeper to that. Has that always been the mark of, of lack of success? Cause usually, you know, you, you, you see things and you go out a little bit of this, a little bit of that uh, would make even a better culture. I would, I'm curious as to if that's always been your mark of a poor culture and what, and that definition. Uh, that, that what, what has been the mark of a poor culture? The, your, your experience, at Joanne, experience at Joanne and, and, and really defining that a little bit more uh, for us all to understand. Cause I think we all seek out uh, to create positive cultures in the organizations that we're with. Uh, and that that's a, I just, as soon as you started, I would love to hear your yeah. definition of Joanne's and if that's always been your mark of a poor culture, or if there's been other cultures that have been below that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the, the reason that I was drawn to, to working on culture and leadership is, I, I'm the kind of person that wants to get to the root of things. And so I, I don't want to deal with surface kinds of issues. I want to get to what the origin is and really, really 
change things, make an impact. And, and my experience was that culture and leadership was a, was a big deal in not just in business performance. I mean, there's tons of studies that, that show that, um, having a quote unquote, good culture impacts performance. So there's lots of that data, but equally as important to me is the impact on people's lives. Maybe even more important to me because, you know, there was a parallel path in my life that I didn't mention, which is the kind of like behind the curtain, the personal side. My mother and my sister were killed by a drunk driver when I was almost three. My father took me to live with my mother's parents. And then a year later, he started a new family that didn't include me. I stayed with my grandparents. Uh, my grandfather became my father. My grandmother became my mother. And um, grandpa was largely responsible for my involvement in magic. He was not a magician, but he was just a very supportive, kind, loving man and funny as hell. Um, and so grandpa had a mental breakdown when he was uh, when I was 13 and he took his own life when I was 16 and there's more, there's been a lot of loss. So, uh, the meaning of life has been really important to me. And because I've spent so much time in the business world, um, you know, we spend over 90,000 hours of our lives at work. And to me, um, to not feel fulfilled for 90,000 hours is, uh, bordering on criminal. And so a big part of my interest in leadership and culture is for people and the quality of their lives. So um, to this question about culture, um, there's a lot of reasons, as you all know, that businesses can struggle. There can be economic reasons, market reasons, there, you know, just all kinds of reasons that businesses can struggle. Um, but culture um is such a uh what's the word insidious thing you know you can't put your hands on culture it's hard to define it's hard to measure uh and yet it influences virtually everything and so it's interesting for for me that early in my career I had this contrast between Joanne's immediately followed by EDS because they were night and day, and it boils down to uh, Joanne Fabrics did not value people. I made a mistake. Uh, I misplaced a deposit. We had to do two deposits a day at Joanne's, and I misplaced uh, a deposit, and it just never showed up. It never turned up. And they held me responsible for it. They docked my pay uh, for the amount, 700 bucks. I mean, it's not much, but it was 1983. So um, so they took it out of my pay. And, you know, you think 700 bucks, not that much, but I was only making $11,200. And so it was, you know, it was like 6% of my total pay. And I just felt like no one had my back. You know, yes, the buck stops with me. Yes, I was responsible for that deposit. But, um, you know, how, how about a little uh, grace? 
and and so I, when I went to work for EDS in the first six months, I made a mistake working for Ross. And that was a $15,000 mistake. I hired a contract programmer that had a buyout clause. And um, it was $15,000 that we didn't need to spend because people were beating down the door to work at EDS. We didn't have to pay people $15,000 just to come to work there. And it was due to an oversight on my part. Um, I didn't pay attention to detail. And here's the contrast. Ross said, and, and I'll save the long story because I'm long-winded this morning. Sorry. Um, Ross, I, I said to Ross, Ross asked me what I thought he should do. And it was one of those dramatic, you walk into the office and I don't know if any of you have ever had a boss do this, but you walk in and they're, they invite you to sit in their chair. And that's what he did. So I went and sat in his chair and he goes around and sits on the, in the chair where I should be sitting across the desk. And he says, now I'm Andy Bennett. What are you going to do? There was no preamble. Like, here's what we're here to talk about. He just dove into it. And, and I'd been up all night thinking about this. And I said to him, you know, we can't afford to have people making $15,000 mistakes. Um, I'm going to have to let you go. That's what I really, that's the conclusion I had come to. And, uh, he stands up and he pounds his fist on the desk and he says, that is precisely why I am not going to fire you. I've just invested $15,000 in your education. <laughs> so you look at that contrast between Joanne, and, who just turned their back on me when I made a mistake, and Ross Perot, EDS, who, who I made a huge mistake. And he said, this is part of your learning, and I'm invested in you. Um, those two cultures were absolutely night and day. And, and so... In all the years since then, um, I have seen the impact of culture on both of those levels, on a business level and on a, on a quality of life level, and it's thrilling. Not every project I've worked on has been a success. There have been projects where um, we've had an initial success in really revitalizing a culture or shifting a culture. Uh, and then because of that, I think of two projects where they were so successful that the leader got promoted, went to another part of the organization, and they brought in a new leader who didn't share the same values, who hadn't been the, through the same process. And they had a uh, more of a focus strictly on the bottom line. And yeah, I had one leader tell me, I said to him, I said to one leader, he was a chief financial officer at a university. And um, I said to him, you know, as I talk to people, um, they, they feel like they don't get enough appreciation. They just like a little thank you every now and then. And he looks at me and he kind of sneers and he says, their paycheck is a thank you. And I just thought, man, um, so the, those kinds of leaders came in on the heels of these great positive leaders. And, and 
both of, of those organizations that I'm thinking of no longer exist. And I think it was the, um, those kinds of leaders were in kind of a, uh, premonition of how the leadership in those organizations, how it was shifting. And so, um, culture just has such a huge impact on the business and on quality of life. It's, um, it's, uh, it's so important. Let's go over to Lydia. I think she wants to talk about another important component of leadership around integrity. Right. So, um, Andrew, do you like Andrew or Andy? What's the best way? I, to- did, I, I went to Australia, Andy, and I came back Andrew. So <laughs> I'm Andrew now. Okay. So I love what you, what you're talking about and what you have to say. So, um, I'm a therapist that 20 years ago backed into working with leaders and the depth of leaders, who they really are, is so integral to what they can create. And so, and well, my big hairy opinion is that most businesses really miss that. So I'm so excited about what you're saying because you are my people. It's like, oh my God, yeah. like he's, you are saying exactly what I see and what I believe. And it's exciting that you've had so much success and yay. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, it is. I, I think it's the road less traveled. Not many leaders want to go there. Um, I've started, well, for several years, I've been extremely, um, careful about the leaders that I work with, that they are people who really uh, genuinely want to look at themselves. And I I worked on a project um, that ended about three years ago. It was a four-year project, another university, and um, the leadership team, it it was a four-year project, and I ended it after three years because the, the executive leadership team did not want to do that introspection and they kept dismissing the feedback. I was using a feedback instrument to, to gather data to help them understand how they're perceived. And, um, they didn't want to, they didn't want to own it. And so after three years, I talked to the president and I just said, I can't help you. And I can't keep taking your money. So it's, but at the beginning they said, yeah, you know, that's a great idea. We need to look inside. And, but then, you know, when you get into it and you start having to be honest about how your internal stuff may be getting magnified out in the world, um, it, it, it can be tough to want to, want to own that tough but amazing so if you do when you do when somebody really taps into the courage of that and the you know it's a gorgeous journey when somebody really steps into who they really are and can communicate that in a way that's beneficial to their people um it is wow there's nothing better in the whole world i agree with you i agree with you so thank you for being here. Really, I, I'm so thrilled to know you're in the world, Andrew. Well, I'm thrilled to know you're in the world, Lydia. 
Steve, I don't know if you have a question or an observation, but I want to hear it. Thank you, Randy. Another great show. You're going to, have to find a way to encapsulate this into some cookie form we can pass around that coffee breaks or something. Some of the great shows. Uh, Andrew, you've talked about culture, but what you're, you're describing is leadership. So I want you to yeah. talk a little bit about that. Also, uh, I'm really fascinated on uh, the magic tricks <laughs> and how you relate that over to leadership or culture yeah. issues. Yeah. So thank you for all of that. I appreciate it. I love those questions, Steve. So uh, the, the um, connection between leadership and culture, I believe that um, leaders are architects of culture. Uh, I also believe that, so that's, that's a, you know, a conscious thing that you have to, culture is going to happen. So I should say what my definition of culture is. There's probably a thousand definitions of culture, but uh, I boil it down to something really simple, which is culture is the influence that your behavior has on others. So um, the behavior of leaders is magnified. People watch leaders for cues about how they should be um, behaving, speaking, the decisions they should be making. And I don't think, uh, well, I've met a lot of leaders who aren't sensitive to that. Um, I did a project with Motorola many years ago and the plant manager, it was in a plant, it was in a Silicon wafer manufacturing plant in Phoenix. And um, the manager of the plant said to me, the first time I met him, he said, my first day, they were taking me out of a tour, uh, on a tour and I just happened to notice this basket of wafers kind of sitting on top of a machine. And he said, well, what are those? And they didn't know. The next day he walks into his office and there's that basket of wafers with this meticulously prepared report about the wafers, you know, when they were manufactured, the processes they'd been through, all of this. And he said, geez, I just asked a simple question. I didn't want someone to spend hours putting together a report about it. And he said, that's when I realized people are really paying attention and really reacting to me. So leaders are the ones that through their words and their behavior, um, their beliefs that influence the way they show up in a thousand different subtle ways, leaders really shape culture. I mean, everybody creates culture together. Uh, co-workers influence the way they behave and react with each other. That's culture, the effect of our behavior on each other. Uh, but leaders have such a huge impact on it. And, you know, and I think this is, I think this is um, what was behind what Lydia was saying about doing deep work. Uh, in order for 
I, I think in order for leaders to really create great cultures, it takes deep introspection and looking at what your beliefs are. And something that's had my interest for the last 10 years is how you react to fear. Um, fear is something that we're afraid to talk about. We, we are fearful of talking about fear, but every single human being is, is wired physiologically. Our brains are wired in such a way that we're on scan. We spend, researchers suggest that we spend about 80% of our brain power scanning for threats. And it's a survival mechanism. Uh, so we're looking for what's wrong and we detect threats in meetings when someone disagrees with us. Uh, there, there are just all kinds of situations that trigger us, that put us into a reactive mode. And this is where uh, the way that a leader behaves is absolutely critical. So being able to know your own reactive tendencies and being able to manage your reactivity in a way that um, doesn't create more fear. You know, one of the hot buzzwords in the business world these days is psychological safety. Um, to create an environment where people feel safe to voice their opinions, to um, try experiments and fail to uh, take risks requires psychological safety. And the way that you show up as a leader demonstrates wh whether or not the environment is safe. You know, look at Ross Perot and the way he managed me. Um, it was so deeply powerful. Uh, so leadership and organizational culture is, um, should be, that should be a, a, an agenda. You've got your operational agenda that's running the business, but I think there's a developmental agenda that needs to run parallel to that. And the developmental agenda is how do we get better at managing our own internal lives and how do we get better at managing the way that we interrelate and work together so that we're creating psychological safety where creativity can flourish and where we can build on the creativity of one another instead of um you know moving to our corners and and being divided so that's the leadership and culture piece. The magic piece, uh, if you want to get a flavor for it, I've got a couple of TEDx talks out there. Uh, the first one is called The Magic of Words. So you can just pop that into your YouTube search, Magic of Words. Uh, that one has been viewed over a half million times. And um, it, it, is, it talks about the power of our words, the influence that our words have in our inner narrative and how they influence our own performance, but it's also our um, external, the conversations that we have with other people. And there's some magic in there. I use magic in that presentation. And then my last TEDx talk was a couple years ago. It's called Practical Magic. And uh, there's some magic in there. Both of those 
not only feature magic tricks, but they show how I make connections between magic and leadership, magic and um, improving personal performance, magic and enhancing the quality of your life. So let me give you one really quick example. The word abracadabra. Pretty much everybody knows abracadabra is the magic word. And, but very few people, including magicians, know what abracadabra means. I always thought it was a nonsense word. I just thought it was goofy. So I never used it growing up. But I learned about 10, 12 years ago that abracadabra is an Aramaic word. So that's an ancient sacred language that, that it's believed that Jesus spoke Aramaic, um, predates Hebrew. And abracadabra means what I speak is what I create. What I speak is what I create. So it's about the power of our words at influencing what shows up in our lives. And if you think about that, uh, what you speak to yourself internally influences how you're able to think, how you're able to perform, what you speak to others influences how they feel about themselves, what they believe they're capable of. I think for any of you that are parents, that's I'm sure that's very apparent to you that the way you speak to your children has a huge influence on their um, well-being and their ability to accomplish things. So that's just one example of how magic, um, how I use magic in my work. And so I do um, workshops where we dig into this stuff, where we, where we look at um, how are you using your words in your inner narrative? How are you using your words uh, in your work environment? Um, how can we be more conscious of the words we use? And, um, you know, this idea of what we speak is what we create relative to a vision. We all know that a vision is something you need to have for your business. That's been preached forever. Uh, but so many people just go away and they go on a retreat and they crank out a vision statement and they make the posters and they put it up on the wall and they put it in their annual reports. But that's about it. And uh, if what we speak is what we create, then uh, what we want, if, if our vision is what we want to create, let's make sure we're speaking about that all the time. Let's not just have it on the wall in a poster. Let's make that an ongoing conversation. Ross used to call, he, we used to block 30 minutes on his calendar every morning, and he would, he would call four people at random, we would get these numbers for him. He would call them and he would just say, so what are you working on and how does it relate to where we're going? And he wasn't looking for some pat answer and you never knew when you were going to get that call. He just wanted to have a conversation about are people aware of where we're going as a company and do they understand how their work is an important, is, a, is an essential part of that. And he would always make that connection. You know, you would tell him about what you're working on and then he'd kind of sum it up at the end. You know, he'd say, uh, 
you know, what you're working on is really important to this project that's a part of this, that's essential for this. And he would, he would bridge those gaps. And, you know, people just felt like they were part of something important, like what they were working on that day matters. So. Interesting. Um, reminds me of the uh, golden rule, um, which we all have been taught at some point in our life to treat other people as you'd like to be treated. I think the great uh, variation of that that someone shared with me not too long ago is treat other people as they would like to be. Yes. And, uh, you mentioned grace, um, empathy are two words that are interchangeable in that version. Yes. Yeah. Let's go to uh, Mike. So I was just curious, you said now that you've kind of, you're selective about who you want to work with. And um, I'm curious, what would the top three questions that you would ask somebody to determine if this person is somebody that I really want to work with or, or if I don't? Yeah, what a great question. Well, you know, the first question is, um, what does work mean to you? And so what I'm looking for there is a sense that work is about more than just, uh, you know, hitting your profit goals. Uh, so, so I want to kind of assess whether or not this person has a, a bigger perspective about things because I, I think that's really essential for what I what I want to be creating in the, in the world and the kinds of leaders that I want to be working with are people who have this sense that um, work is also life. They're, the work-life balance is, mm, I think that's a very limiting kind of perspective. So um, what is work? about to you what does business mean to you is the first question the second question is um tell me about some of the ways that your organization uh, supports people so um how how do how does the organization and how do leaders care for people i so i what i'm looking for there is and these are all really practical things. They're not philosophical things. What are the things that you actually do for people? Um, on my next Happy Hour for Hope, which is next week, next Wednesday, my guest is going to be Bob Chapman, who's the CEO of uh, Barry Waymiller. It's a $2 billion, $2.5 billion company. And... Um, they have this approach to leadership that's called truly human leadership. And when they were faced with uh, downturns in the, in their industry a few years ago, the employees all got together and decided that they would all take pay cuts rather than lay people off. Their attitude about people is that we're family and you wouldn't lay off a family member. You know, you wouldn't say, well, uh, 
you know, you just wouldn't lay off a family member. So what are the things you do uh, to care for people in the organization? And the, the third question I ask is, what's the legacy that you want to leave behind? Because that also gives a sense of um, what this person is, their bigger perspective on things. And usually through that conversation, I can, I can assess without asking the question, I can determine whether or not this person is the kind of person that really will dig in. If there's some humility there, I think humility is one of the things I'm, I'm really looking for. Um, I think humility is a really important, uh, quality for this kind of leader we're talking about to have. Those are great answers. Good things. My brother just told me a quote. We're in a music business and, and uh, we do 75% of our business in 45 days out of the year. So oh. it's, that's why my, that's why I look untanned compared to everybody else on the screen. That's I'm on day 46, but, um, so that's it's, because uh, of the beginning of the school year. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we were always told, boy, you don't take a day off during that. Well, it turned out my brother's daughter decided to get married right in the middle of it. And so we all took a trip to Colorado to do that right in the middle of this, which was just unheard of because our parents told us never to do that. Uh, but I said to him, I said, wow, you're, you're really, really take a step out there put, putting this thing right in the middle of the busiest season and he said well you know we we work to live not the other way around and yeah. so you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna form my whole life around this you know it was important but he and he took the steps to make sure that everything was taken care of while it's gone but, but i thought that was really interesting so when you answered the first question that popped into my mind so but, yeah Love the way you speak. You're, you know, the, the gate of your speech and you're just, you're just casual confidence is awesome. Really cool. So thank you so much for letting us be here today. Thank you for that compliment, Mike. It's really my honor to be here. Let's go to Jeff. Thank you for sharing your insight. You do a decent uh, Ross Perot impersonation also. So Not bad. You. Uh, I used to yeah, call people. I used to call people in the office, Jeff, and I'd say, "Jeff, get in here." <laughs> it was the greatest practical joke. I love they'd, it. They'd come back, it. you know, and they'd be like, "Andy, you son of a bitch." <laughs> <laughs> I, Andrew, I'd love to hear your thoughts on. I'm real intrigued about uh, building. Uh, creating or enhancing a company culture in a remote environment, hybrid environment. I think, you know, existing employees understand the corporate culture, right? So they're used to it. So going out to their homes or wherever they're working, they know what the culture is, but onboarding new team members, I just would love to hear your thoughts on how do you share that culture and bred the culture in, in new employees? Yeah, what a great what a great question. And I, I think I'm going to be a little limited in my ability to answer it because I've not been working during the pandemic. I've not been working on a long-term project where I'm 
you know, as engaged. When I have a long-term project, it's a minimum of a year and I'm spending at least four days a month on site with the client. Um, and I love that because I consider myself a practitioner first and above all is just in the trenches. I want to be someone that when I talk about leadership and culture, that it's coming from practical real world stuff. It's not academic. It's not anything I've read in a book that it's, it's real. Um, so I've not been doing that during this time. I think the closest thing, um, it might actually be interesting to hear from other people on this call, what, what they are doing because they probably have more experience than I do. Um, but one, one kind of culture element during the pandemic that I have been involved in is, um, in teaching, um, at American university virtually. And I think I've been really successful at creating a, a strong culture for my classes. Um, I had one of my students that was a student a year ago contact me this morning and she actually talked about how she's been applying um, one of the magic structures that I use in my work is appear, disappear, and restore. That's in my second TEDx talk. So when you're learning how to do magic, you learn how to make something appear you know, like a coin from behind someone's ear, you learn how to make something disappear and you learn how to restore something that's been caught or broken or whatever. And it's just, it's a, when you think about it, it's an amazing model for making things happen or for rebooting, writing a new chapter, revitalizing, you know, let's stop. And uh, I'm starting to, to do this. I have a project that's starting in a month with Feeding America. Uh, they're the kind of the mothership for over 200 food banks across the U.S. They're the second largest nonprofit in the U.S. And I'm helping them develop their CEO Institute. And um, one of the things we're looking at is taking a pause during the pandemic to say, all right, uh, we've been largely reactive to what's going on. What is what if, what what is the pandemic? informed us about what have we learned from it and so based on that what do we want to make appear if we write let's let's think about writing a new chapter right now what do we need to make appear what needs to go away what needs to disappear and what do we need to restore um so this particular student wrote to me this morning and said that she'd been using appear to get really clear about what she wanted to create. She'd had some great results, but, um, in the class, a lot of what we've done to create culture has been just to make space for conversation and fun. Uh, we've done a lot of fun things that you can do through zoom, uh, interactive kinds of fun. Um, and lots of conversation. Uh, I know a lot of people who have taken new jobs during this time and they haven't ever met their team in person. And what I'm hearing from uh, those people is that 
the the casual conversations you know i think we're doing a lot of meetings on zoom but it's the casual conversations that help you um learn the culture if you think about it when we we're back in our offices it would be you know hanging out in someone's doorway and shooting the shit excuse my language grew up on a farm old habits are hard die hard um you know but just chatting um and that's that you know making that kind of space for just having conversation conversation is a very important part of culture and learning culture but like i said i think this you know here we've got i don't know how many people but um you know some of you may have experiences that would be worth sharing about um jeff's question yeah it's a pretty common uh thing that's come up over the past year of how do you get deep roots in the culture and so i don't think anybody's got it figured out yet everyone's trying different things but you know it, it's not going away you know work from home some component of it is is here to stay as we get the daily uh articles about the great resignation there are people that have found that there are components of their life that they like not having to commute every day and being able to get to their kids ball games and being able to take a walk in the evening and not be in a car and so you know we're going to continue to evolve on this path some you know i i just something just occurred to me about from a conversation i had um a couple weeks ago that's relevant to this and it's um uh i was coaching a leader and he's we we were talking about culture in this environment and i asked him how do you embody your culture how can you embody your culture in a virtual context and we have our next conversation tomorrow so i'm not sure what he's he'll come up with but that was the question because i i think a big part of what helps people understand culture is how you embody it as a leader um how do you demonstrate the values that you say are important to your culture how do you embody that in your words in your actions in your decisions the way you treat people are those consistent with the kind of culture that you say you want to create and so how do you embody that uh in this virtual environment is a question worth thinking about and there's an important component of that which is more difficult to build remotely but as you mentioned earlier people are watching for clues and i had a lady call me one night this week and she was struggling with her boss she lived in another city and she was struggling with her boss because she said he's saying all the things that are posted on the wall and the values but his actions are different you know so we're saying you know we want you to be a whole person and have a balanced life and we value you but i'm emailing you at 1 a.m or i'm coming in the next morning and 
and send an email telling you how I worked 12 hours to fix something you screwed up. And, and so what he's saying doesn't match the words on the wall. And I said, well, that's trust. You know, you, you build trust. People are looking for clues of harmony between those things. And so I think trust is an important component that whether we're doing it by zoom or looking at the emails or listening to the messaging, we're trying to find some kind of alignment. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's interesting, Randy, because I wonder if that leader is even conscious of that. So much of what we're talking about here requires being conscious of it. Like, do they even think that sending that email at one in the morning subtly conveys the idea that, you know, work is in session 24 seven. If you don't know, you assume it. <laughs> if I get an email at 1 AM and Hey, I need this done in the morning. I'm assuming that you want me to be working right now. <laughs> yeah. Let's get jump over to Lydia. So Andrew, are we invited to your happy hour? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, all you need to do, this is very simple to, to register. It's free, um, is go to happyhourhope.com. And you'll see on there where you can register. It does require registration, but um, you don't go on my mailing list. You go on a happy hour for hope mailing list so that I can let you know when the next one is. The, 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 this, I'm going to end happy hour for hope actually in November. Um, it's been going on for a year and a half. I started it to create an oasis during the pandemic. And, um, and I need to take a break from it. And also there's going to be a, a revitalized uh, version of it coming back um, probably in, in six months or so. And it's interesting, Lydia, that you used the term courage earlier because um, I'm leaning more and more into that issue of courage and leadership. And so I think the new broadcast will probably be something like um, uh, leading, living, and loving with courage. So, but, um, but yeah, next Wednesday at six o'clock Eastern time is Bob Chapman. And it's a, it, it's a typically a small gathering uh, like this. And so it gives you the opportunity to chat with who Inc. Magazine called the number three CEO in the world. Wow. Wow. I want to make a comment about courage too. What is a great privilege for me is helping leaders to discover where they have courage, where they don't see it themselves. So it's a very different journey than whatever the definition or even maybe the typical definition of courage and really unpacking that leader's history and journey to help them to see themselves in a new way that will then leverage those gifts and that courage moving forward. So do you have an example of of courage where someone might not be aware of it, like you're saying? Um, absolutely, right? So um, 
I work with one company in town that I absolutely adore. They happen to be a concrete business. And so kind of salt of the earth people. And the leader is an incredibly good person who did not see himself as particularly anything. And he's extraordinary. Hmm. So helping that person to really get a sense of um, their genuine power in the best sense of the word, right? Like yeah. that, that yeah. you know, like from here, it's just like, wow. Um, yeah. For them to be able to, well, do you know, sometimes, I mean, you talked about humility. People can be so humble that it's a weakness or, you know, that they overdo yeah. the humility piece. Yeah. And that was the case with this wonderful person and helping them to get comfortable with, they really are more than they're presenting and how it's their, um, obligation and their privilege to really use that because their people need them to step in more profoundly. And oh, by the way, they deserve it because they're, there's no smoke and mirrors. They're, they're the real deal. So why not be more profound in how you show up as a leader? Yeah, I love that. It, and it's like you said, it is kind of owning your power for the best, per, you know, for the best reasons, not power in terms of domineering other people, but using that to help people and to elevate your business. It's, I love it. Yeah. So, and that's like the best, right? Like when you get those companies or those leaders, like that's just like, oh, that's the best. It's, you know, ah, just yeah. unbelievably great. And so beautiful to see what happens for that leader and then what happens for their people. Yeah. I mean, so it's not a selfish act for them to really embody that at all. It's, if anything, it's a, it's a great gift to their, to their whole culture, their business. It absolutely is. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. You bet. I love that Jenny pointed out that values are for living, not laminating, which is a, a great quote, but you know, I've never heard are, that. That's <laughs> awesome. People are watching us to see what we're doing as leaders and, and they, uh, they're going to form uh, their own opinions about the culture and the direction uh, from the actions we take and the things we do more than what we say. So it's really, so Jenny, you've made it really simple for me. I'm going to keep that one. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Andrew, this was awesome. It was inspiring. I just, I just love spending time with you. I'm really looking forward to next Wednesday. For any of you that can join Bob Chapman, that story is just legendary in business leadership of what they've accomplished there. There are so many people that point to that organization as a, as a model. And so I think it'd be, uh, it's going to be awesome to hear him talk about what they've done. Yeah. And like I said, it's a great opportunity in a small group like this. I mean, when would you get an opportunity to chat with someone like that is a very inspiring story. And uh, thank you so much, Randy, for inviting me and thank you all for listening. I was long winded today, but uh, it was all good stuff. It's not long winded when it's full of nuggets. <laughs> good, good deal. Well, great job, Andrew. Uh, great questions, everyone. It was an awesome morning. So uh, you guys have a great weekend and uh, look for happy hour for hope for next yeah. Wednesday.
And uh, hopefully I see some of you there and see you again uh, next week. Bye, everybody.